Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. I'm Ron Wilson, and you are in the garden here on News Radio 610 WTVN, 821 WTVN, 800-610-WTVN. Jeff on board talking about gardening. This final Saturday of March 2023, can you believe that? Next Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day. I don't, I think back when I was a kid and you did all goofy stuff back on April Fool's Day. I don't even think kids know what April Fool's Day even means anymore. I don't know. Um, but it's, uh, it is April Fool's Day, April 1st. And we will be uh, kicking off the spring remote season um, at Oakland Nursery in New Albany. So if you want to come out and see us, we'll be there doing our show live next Saturday, April 1st, 10 until noon, um, at the Oakland Nursery in New Albany. And they always have a lot of fun out there. And uh, we'll get that kicked off and then uh, see where else we can wind up going through the rest of the spring season. Speaking of which, has spring sprung? Well, it has officially both of them have sprung, uh, but where is our soil temperatures right now? Leading off, uh, I told you I was going to do this for about six or eight weeks until we get early into the spring season. Uh, anybody look? Anybody guess what our soil temperatures right now are in Columbus? Well, as of 4.45 this morning, we were right at 44 degrees. So 44 degrees, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? That means that if you are uh, still holding off, uh, putting down that pre-emergent herbicide because we're waiting for the temperatures to warm up a little bit more so that when we put it down, it'll last longer into the season, um, you still have time. As a matter of fact, looking at the uh, nighttime temperatures next week, even though the daytime temps are getting up, uh, I think I saw 60s one day, 50s, uh, low 50s. I'm still seeing tomorrow night, I think, uh, warm temperatures but then the nighttime temps after that for the next three or four days, back down into the 30s and 20s. That, of course, is keeping things in check. That, of course, is keeping the soil temperatures cooler. That, of course, means that we can hold off a little bit longer before putting down the pre-emergent herbicide. Now, if by chance you're going to get out this weekend and go to your locally owned independent garden center and you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to get started and we're buying seeds and all kinds of stuff and I want to get my lawn care products together as well, and you'd like to get it done this weekend in between the weather or whatever, um, you can do that. If you want to do it next week, fine. I mean, from this point forward, we're good to go. You can put down your pre-emergent herbicide in the in the lawn and should be good to go. But if you're trying to hold off a little bit longer, um, looks like we probably have an easily another week to go. You know, we'll see. Once you get into April, it's pretty much let's get it put down, get it in place uh, and let it go. So we could probably pull off one more week 
uh, before we just make sure we go ahead and, and put it down. And as I've said in the past, if you're a lawn care company or you're driving around and you see lawn care companies spraying the lawns right now or putting something down in the lawns right now, chances are it's a pre-emergent herbicide and a fertilizer. That's okay because their pre-emergent herbicides that they use typically last four months or five months. So they can put it down early and get extended uh, a season out of that. So it shouldn't be an issue. But if you're not sure what they're putting down, ask them what product is it is for the pre-emergent herbicide and how long does it typically last. And if we have a lot of rainfall, hot sunny days, that can all help to break it down faster so that we don't uh, don't get the, quite the length of uh, durability of that pre-emergent herbicide. So if by chance we put something down and the bag says we'll last 120 days for us, let's just use that for instance, there's a real good chance under normal conditions that it may only last or be really effective, 100% effective for 100 days or 105 days. So when you're about two weeks or so away from the expiration of the pre-emergent that you put down not being effective anymore, and you want to run it uh, longer into the summer season, then you reapply about two weeks before it runs out. Excuse me, I had to turn off the mic because I am sneezing today. I got a little bit of head cold. But anyway, um, so, you know, you, you give yourself about two weeks before it runs out so that you've got a good overlap there, and then we'll continue on for you. Now, here's a kicker. If it runs until June or 1st of July... And you're looking at your lawn and you're saying, I'm going to do some seeding in September. Go do some overseeding or whatever it may be. Remember, if you put that second pre-emergent herbicide down and it lasts for three or four months, that takes you into September. Not a good thing. So you have to think about that if you're doing some seeding in the fall. If you are doing seeding in the spring or you did dormant seeding already and the grass seed is there, remember, Pre-emergent herbicides for the lawn will also stop your grass seed from coming up. So that means that um, you can't put down a pre-emergent, the regular pre-emergent herbicide uh, in your lawn if that's what you need to do because you'll stop your grass seed from coming up. If you did that dormant seeding and you have a professional lawn care company, and if they have not treated your lawn yet, make sure you let them know that you put dormant seed down because that way they won't put down the pre-emergent. Scott's has their step one for newly seeded lawns. And as far as I know, it's the only one out there available for homeowners, And as far as I know, um, that is an exception to the rule. It allows grass seed to germinate, but it stops crabgrass and other weed seeds from coming up as well. And it doesn't last as long as the regular pre-emergent herbicides, but it lasts long enough to give you time for that grass seed to germinate and start to grow. And then you could come back and put down a regular pre-emergent herbicide. Once your grass seed is germinated and is growing, then you're good to go to come back and put down a regular pre-emergent herbicide. Now, what if you have a bare area out in the lawn, right in the middle of the lawn, and you can it's distinct, and the lawn care company's come through or you Three weeks ago, you put down a pre-emergent herbicide. Lawn care companies already put down a pre-emergent herbicide. Chances are, if you went out there and raked that heavily, all right, you break the barrier, 
and it, it forms a barrier. So when that breaks down, it forms a barrier, uh, like a like a, a this invisible barrier across the soil, so that when weed seeds start to germinate uh, to grow, they can't. They start to germinate, they can't root in, they die. That's basically the way it works. Um, but if you rake that and b- break that barrier, there's a real good chance you can seed in that particular area by breaking the barrier, by raking it extensively, getting all the debris out of there, putting your seed down and going from there. So that is a possibility, but let's try to not do that unless it's absolutely necessary um, to save the seed. All right, so let's try not to do that. But again, Scott's step one for newly seeded lawns is available for you out there. Um, For you folks that still want to do some seeding, or you've already done some dormant seeding, um, that will that'll take care of it for you. And that has, does have a starter fertilizer in it, so it'll give you a, a nice uh, a new seed, a nice feeding. And if you have an existing lawn, we'll also give the existing lawn a nice feeding as well. So uh, keep that in mind uh, there. And, again, soil temperatures right now around 44 degrees on an average in the Columbus area. And so we, we'll, we'll look at that a couple more times, and then we'll – Start to back off. The other reason that I look at the the soil temperatures in the springtime and again in the fall is that when it comes to planting your vegetable garden and you're looking to plant some of those earlier crops that are uh, like the cooler weather, that are cold tolerant, um, things like peas and carrots, radishes, um, greens like kale and chard, cabbage, uh, broccoli, things like that. Beets, uh, even potatoes, as long as the, the, the soil's workable and not uh, holding a lot of moisture, we typically look at about a 45 to 50 degree soil temperature consistently to uh, before we start planting. And again, we're right there. We're right there on the cusp. If you have raised beds, I guarantee you they're a little bit warmer because they're up out of the ground. They warm up quicker. So uh, there's, that's one of the uh, good opportunities or benefits of using raised beds is that you can start in there a little bit sooner. But otherwise, uh, we're, we're there. We're, we're getting there, 45. Get it up to 50 degrees for the cold-tolerant, cool-loving vegetable uh, vegetables, and you'll be able to get out and get those started uh, right away. As a matter of fact, I know of several folks that went out, and they've already gotten in raised beds. Uh, most of those seeds uh, planted in the ground, uh, potatoes as well, because the raised beds drain nicely. And, again, staying around 45 to 50 degrees. So uh, that's why I look at the temperatures. That's why we bring it up every spring. We'll probably do it another week or two. Then we'll start to back off. And then becomes what? Watching for frosts. And, uh, and again, soil temperatures a little bit, because when we talk about uh, warm season vegetables like tomatoes and peppers, and uh, cucumbers and things like that, they really like it to get into the 60, 65, and even 70-degree soil temperatures before you plant. That's not even thinking about the air temperatures, but soil temperatures. You don't always protect against the frost, but you not necessarily can you come in (laughs) and warm up the uh, soil temperatures. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. Phone lines are open for you. Uh, 821, I'm sorry, yeah, 821-WTVN. 800-610-WTVN, here in the Garden with Ron Wilson on News Radio 610 WTVN. If you could only see Bob Randolph right now, he spins around on this song, hands in the air, it's phenomenal. B, 
A, B, C, D. He does that all the way through it. Welcome back. Talking yardening here on News Radio 610 WTVN. Of course, listen to that weather forecast. That's Bob Randolph weather. It's a roller coaster ride up and down and up and down. Strap yourself in. That's all we can do and ride it out till we finally get into the. Uh, the uh, late spring and early summer season. Will it uh, ever straighten out? Who knows? By the way, speaking of gardening, uh, coming up at the top of the hour, got another book for you. And this is a very interesting book. And, you know, when I when I do have authors on in the books, uh, I, I don't just do that out of the blue because somebody wants to push their book. I These are books that I get and I read and, in, uh, and like them. And if I like them, then I share them with you. <clears throat> this is an interesting book because it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Uh, the title, and there's a bunch of books out there, I mean, bazillion, on how to be, be a vegetable gardener, you know, growing things in your vegetable garden. And I'm sure we'll have more people on the show with books about growing vegetables. But this particular book, it's How to Become a Gardener, Find Empowerment and Creating Your Own Food Security with Ashley Thomas, and she's otherwise known on the social media as the Mocha Gardener. And as you read it, uh, remember, was it last week, two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, had uh, Mr. McEnany on that talking about learning your style of landscaping and, and, and what you really like. This is the same concept put into vegetable gardening. So you learn more about yourself and what you want to do and what you're trying to achieve and where you want to be down the road, what makes you the happiest and what types of foods do you really need, blah, blah, blah. And then once you figure that out, then you put your vegetable garden together. And she explores different types of ways of gardening. And she still tells you how to be a vegetable gardener. But the whole point of it is working your way to find out what, where you are, what's your level, where do you, you want to be. And then you figure all that out, and then you put it together. And it's really cool. It's a, it's a great way the way she first couple chapters walks you through that, making you think about what you want to do. And it takes it from there. And, of course, the pictures are worth a million million bucks. Um, great pictures of her garden, small garden, but it's absolutely beautiful. And all the ideas and things she uses in it, absolutely beautiful. And as I told her, talking to her earlier this week, I said, you know, looking at that book, the pictures that are in there are worth the, uh, the admission fee because you'll get so many things out of the pictures alone. It's phenomenal. But anyway, we'll talk with uh, Ashley Thomas, the Mocha Gardener, coming up at the top of the hour how to become a gardener. Speaking of which, you know, we talk about the bees a lot and, uh, of course, planting this year, as we have the last couple years, for the pollinators. Not just the bees, but for all the pollinators, creating butterfly gardens. And, of course, if you build a butterfly garden, it's not just for butterflies. It's for all the pollinators that are out there. And everything that we can do to, to, to plant, you know, whatever it can be to be pollinator-friendly in our gardens. And I got an article this week from... Uh, Mr. Dean, D-E-A-N, said, I thought you might be a little bit interested in this article, but out of a kind of a fluke, somebody who grew grows a lot of broccoli, right? And broccoli is, you know, if you get broccoli and it sits there for a while, those little heads open up and those are little flowers in there. Um, had a bunch of broccoli that they were growing, weren't able to harvest the broccoli, uh, let it go to flower and where it was opening up. And what they realized was is that pollinators were all over the broccoli flowers, that they absolutely love them. And then doing a little bit more research, found that it was a great source of food, nectar, and pollen 
uh, was through broccoli. So we can add now broccoli. And, you know, if you think about this, um, you think about plants that we, we rarely let flower because it takes away from the plant. The plant doesn't produce as much, especially if it's a leafy crop. Most of the greens fall into that category. Uh, you know, you don't want them to flower. Um, arugula, kale, all of them, they, they flower at some point down the road. But we don't let them do that uh, because it takes away from what we're trying to produce here. And so come to find out if indeed they do flower in the season and the pollinators are out and about, many of them become a tremendously good source of pollen and uh, of nectar and pollen uh, for these pollinators. Uh, a couple of them that came to my mind when I was thinking about this, and, and I sent this article to Barbie Butcher, our state apiarist, and she fired right back and said, you know, it's funny, that makes a lot of sense. And we talk about a lot of these vegetables that we grow, which we deadhead, so that we just get, you know, the the, the foliage or whatever it may be, um, how important these can be to pollinators down the road. And basil is one. Because, you know, if you don't deadhead basil and you let it go to flower, it stops growing. It stops producing. And you have no more basil leaves. So you pinch the uh, the flowers out of the basil to let it, you know, continue to force on. Now, some of the newer varieties, like a mazel basil, is actually uh, it's actually a, if I'm not mistaken, a male sterile selection. Male, I think. Um, but what's interesting about that particular plant is that if it does flower, it still continues to grow and produce, which is kind of one of the unique things about a mazel basil. It's also uh, uh, basil downy, mildew resistant. But... You know, we ba- we deadhead those all the time, but yet I've seen it, and I've had it happen, where we're growing basil, don't get to it. It goes to flower. The pollinators are all over that thing because they absolutely love it. Coleus, my favorite annual of all annuals. Um, again, we deadhead coleus because we don't want that flower spike to go up on the top because they stop growing. It, it messes up the whole thing. So, again, coleus um, is one of those that if you let flower, which I don't, but if you let it flower, the pollinators love it. And the last one I want to mention is hostas, uh, unless it's a fragrant one. I, I typically get rid of those because I like to plant more than the flower. Point being is uh, when you're bro- planting your broccoli this year, plant two or three extra, let them go to flower. The pollinators will love you for it. Quick break. We come back. Uh, more yardening. Uh, our phone lines are open for you at 821-WTVN, 800-610-WTVN, here on News Radio 610-WTVN. ...my garden with topsoil. Should I mix that top dressing in with the existing ground or just leave it lay on the top? Uh, so you, is this a raised bed or an in-ground garden? In-ground. In-ground. And, you, and you're bringing in... Topsoil. Just regular topsoil? Yes. I would still try to incorporate it in the top with that let it rather than having its own layer okay mix it in with like a rototillers okay yeah and you know you don't have to go very deep it's just a matter of just kind of mixing it in and, and breaking that barrier so you you have both what's below and what's up on top back together again I um, see. but you know you don't have to get real deep as far as the tilling but yeah i would i would definitely do that even if it was compost i mean you could put compost on top and just let it sit there and use that as your mulch also. And eventually it breaks down and works down into the soil. But in that particular case, I probably would work it just a little bit to get them, get them to come back together. Okay. How much is topsoil is good? Like one inch, two inch? Uh, 
how much? If you if you're buying a good shredded topsoil, and don't forget, depending on where you get it, um, ask them. Sometimes they can add a little mushroom compost or uh, composted manure or something like that to it, a small percentage, which really helps you out. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. As a matter of fact, every year you could add a little bit more to kind of raise up your garden, even though it's in the ground, just to make mm-hmm. it higher. It'll drain better. Uh, it'll actually grow better. But, you know, the more you can do that. So the amount you put down, that that's totally up to you. I mean, how much you want to bring in and, and continue to work that. But ask them if they can add a little bit of compost, uh, mushroom compost, composted manure, something like that. 20, 30% to the regular shredded topsoil. If they can do that for you, Dan, you, that's outstanding. Okay. I suppose you could buy that compost in bags separately and add that yourself. Oh, yeah. You, you could have it sp- sprinkle out the, the uh, shredded topsoil and then come back with the composted, the cow, or whatever you decide to buy. Pine finds even works nicely. Spread that out by hand on the top, then do your tilling, uh, and you're good to go. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. All right, all right, Dan, good talking to you, and good luck with everything. Another quick break. We come back, and hang on. We're coming up next here on News Radio 610 WTVN. WTVN, 821-WTVN, 810-WTVN. Do a little dancing at the same time. Back to the yarding phone lines. We shall go, and good morning. I have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, first, when I, a couple of years ago, I got a little red twig dogwood bush. Mm-hmm. And it's now about five feet tall. How much can I cut this back so it doesn't get overgrown? A lot. You Do you remember what uh, selection it was by chance? Bailey. Oh, Bailey's. Okay. that's an, Is it a variegated? Yes, it is yeah. red. Yeah. Okay. The thing about uh, red twig dogwood is that you can just let it grow if you want, and they'll get easily six, seven feet tall with no problem, six, eight feet in diameter. But... What's nice about cutting the back twofold is they respond nicely to that. And we've taken red twig dogwoods that were established and literally taken them back very close to the ground and have them flush right back up again. Um, otherwise, most folks will take them back, you know, if they really want to rejuvenate it, 12, 14, 18 inches above the ground. And typically where you cut it back on those branches, that's where all the new new growth will come out. So, you know, you cl- cut it down pretty close. You got a lot of that new growth coming out closer to the ground, fuller, closer to the ground. And what's nice about it, are the branches still good and red? Uh, yes. Good. Because over time, as they mature, they'll start to lose that really bright redness. They'll become more of a grayish red. But when you cut them back and rejuvenate them, and you get a lot of new growth that comes up, and you can tell that looking at the, the plant that you have, the newer growth is redder than the older growth. So you rejuvenate by cutting them back hard, flushing up new growth, and you have nice red stems all the time. So they're, they're a plant that's easily cut back very close to the ground. Uh, but, again, you can go back 12, 15, 18, 24 inches if you want. That'll all work. Okay. All right. Now, the second question is I'm trying to make a little little garden, which which is I've been working on it. But uh, I need to do something to improve the dirt. And I have been putting all my peelings and everything like that for two years uh, out on the on the top of the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I would bury them in the summer, but the winter, of course, is hard, and I just throw them out there on top. And then when I do my mulching leaves, um, I put the, the mulch part back there, too. 
can I just kind of um, dig dig a little shovel, take a shovel and dig and kind of put those underground a little bit? Uh, it's not a big enough area to have a tiller come in and, and do things uh, to turn the dirt over. But um, I, I just have this area that I wanted to see if I could get a little garden growing. You know, what's interesting is, and, and without seeing it, I can't tell you 100%, but sounds like from what you've been doing, you may be able to get by with not even doing anything besides digging a hole and planting your, your new vegetables in there, depending on how deep that last layer of leaves and everything is sitting on top of the soil. If that was really deep with the leaves, obviously you need to get down to the soil mm-hmm. to plant. But otherwise, if it's not too deep, you may be able to just kind of pull that back a bit Actually, go in and plant without doing a whole lot of any tilling, so become a kind of a no-till garden uh, with the with all the organic matter that you put in there, and go ahead and plant right in what you have without doing anything. Oh, that sounds great. Now, could I put a little bit of fertilizer in there and kind of just kind of stir that around, or not? Yeah, and uh, the, again, and looking at that, when you go to when you go to plant each plant, and you could do that, you go out and broadcast a general fertilizer. If you want to stay all natural, whatever, you get an uh, an organic fertilizer. But you could go out and sprinkle that into the area right now even. And as it rains and and through everything, that will help to start to work it down into the soil. Or you can come back, and when you dig those little holes to plant your new tomatoes or peppers or whatever you're going to plant, that soil you take out could could have a little bit of uh, fertilizer mixed with it. You could plant and do a little side dressing. So, yes. Top dressing with the fertilizer will be fine. Mixing a little bit with the actual soil that you'd fill in back around it would be fine as well. Okay, I will give that a try this year. Thank hey, you well, very keep, much. Keep me posted. I'll be curious to see how it turns out for you. Okay, hey, I, let, I missed the show that you used to be on on Saturday morning. Uh, that was always informative, too, so I'm glad you're back on again. Well, good. We're, glad, we're good to be here. We're glad to Thank be here. You. All right, good talking <laughs> to you. Uh, yeah, it's love to have uh, love to talk gardening. There's no, no doubt about it. Don't forget, we have our special website if you're looking for uh, our plant picks of the week. So my good friend Rita Heikenfeld, who is an herbalist, uh, puts a recipe up there uh, every week for us. Uh, our plant pick of the week this week is spice bush, a native plant that if you're out in your woods and you're clearing out um, invasive honeysuckle, which you should be doing, by the way, at this time of the year, all the the wild uh, pears that have popped up everywhere, getting rid of those before they get uh, established. If you're out doing that right now and you're looking for something to replace that uh, honeysuckle, keep spice bush in mind. It's all around benefits are fa- absolutely fabulous. To learn more about it, go to our special website. It's ronwilsononline.com, and uh, we'll have that one. And you can scroll back and see what our plants of the week have been uh, over the past weeks. Of course, Rita's recipes and uh, we our beagle postings from Buggy Joe Boggs and all. We put those on there as well so you can read through those. And by the way, a lot of folks are asking, when's Buggy Joe coming back? I'm going to guess two weeks. That's going to be my guess. Quick break. We come back. How to Become a Gardener with Ashley Thomas here on News Radio 610 WTVN. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.